and welcome to the MIG Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop and best-selling author of Project to Product, how to survive and thrive in the age of digital disruption with the Flow Framework. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome two incredible leaders, Paul Littlefair and BMK Lakshmi Narayanan. Currently serving as Chief Technology Officer at Bank of New Zealand, Pot Little Fair is an award-winning CIO with a highly successful track record of leading and transforming complex technology units within an enterprise. BMK is a value stream architect at Bank of New Zealand and is an inspiring and passionate DevOps advocate promoting DevOps, Lean, and value stream management principles and practices. I have been amazed at how they have been applying the shift from project to product and flow metrics to Bank of New Zealand, and it was great to dig deeper into their approach and lessons learned. So with that, let's get started. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Project to Product podcast. And I am just thrilled to have Paul Littlefair here. Paul is now acting executive technology at BNZ and BMK, one of the first and I think most actually experienced value stream architects out there. So welcome both. Thank you very much, uh, Mick, for having us. It's a pleasure to be you know, here. Uh, you, have, you have interviewed a lot of my heroes here. So I'm really excited to be here along with Paul. So it's Absolutely. And I think uh, what I absolutely noticed at your talk that was given at DevOps Enterprise Summit, that the, you know, some of what you said really resonated with a lot of people out there trying to put a lot of these practices that are discussed on this podcast into practice. And just where you are in that journey, the things that you've learned in that journey, I'd love to touch on those things today. And notably, uh, it's actually now one of the most watched talks of DevOps Enterprise Summit in the fall. So congratulations on that. I think, again, it was a really important message, the way that you've been leveraging all of the learnings in the community uh, that you talked about in that talk. And really, But I think the really interesting thing, again, is the way that you've been applying these things and your whole approach, the both of you, and the way that you've actually teamed up and partnered in, term of, in terms of the, con- the continual learning that's needed to, to really get from project to product. And Paul, I will ask you about tenacity versus insanity at some point, <laughs> uh, as we discussed before, because of course, in the learning, we, we do need to do a lot, of, a lot of pivoting. But before we dive into that, it'd be great to have you just say a little bit about why, you know, why this journey is so important to you. What is, what is it about the business at BNZ and what you're offering to the, to the country, to your clients from this 150-year-old bank that you know, it seems like you're, you're doing quite well already. You've, I think you've got the best online banking experience in New Zealand, as I've heard, and uh, some of the best mobile experiences out there. So what really, what germinated this journey for you and where are you coming from and what, what, are, what are the goals that you set out to achieve for the bank? So, uh, kia ora and uh, welcome everybody. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, we're uh, Bank of New Zealand or BNZ, as we're quite often called. Yeah, we're uh, we're extremely proud of uh, of the service that we provide to people in this part of the world, and as you said, have won a number of awards. It's a great company, fantastic culture, and um, I am hugely privileged to be uh, one of the execs um, looking after the technology section. So, yeah, why why um, why are we uh, on this journey? And I have to say, look, I've been in technology a fair while. I'm sure a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast probably would have been in technology for a uh, for a fair while. And um, you know, when I started, we were all busy with our sort of waterfall processes, and you know, how do we deliver technology the best uh, and move through? And of course, we 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 saw the agile revolution in the early 2000s and we felt there kind of had to be a better way in terms of delivering technology. I am still somewhat embarrassed 
to represent an industry that quite often fails to deliver on time and on budget so regularly. And uh, it's always very hard to get stats about that because obviously most companies don't like to share challenges that they have with technology. But so often, you know, we're given analogies like, you know, building an office block and people like to talk about foundations and things. And uh, so often it's not true. I have a brother who's worked in construction. The the blueprints that you have to build off are hugely detailed. It's a very repeatable process. I mean, buildings may look slightly different, but it's very, very standard pattern and practice hugely repeatable and we just don't have that in technology we we we, we don't have that yet um and um i think the best analogy i've seen so far is almost to compare it to uh, making a hollywood blockbuster movie which um you know you've still got a lot of technical technical things to do you know you've got to have a great script you've got to you know shoot the scenes well you've got to have a great producer and director you've got to do editing and all of those sorts of things but you know in in terms of um you know, building, yeah, it flows very similar. And at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, the costs, and we worry a lot about costs and technology, sometimes actually what you need to be focused on is how much money the movie's going to make, you know, how effective the technology delivery is going to be to your customers and to your colleagues. Um, and I think that's uh, that's really key. But yeah, to get back to the key thing, why 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 flow metrics? Um, when I uh, when I first came into uh, into BNZ, uh, we were definitely challenged with how visible work was. And having worked in technology a fair while, I, I've had people say to me on numerous occasions, "Why do the exec never visit?" You know, we 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 have the CEOs and and, and presidents of companies come round, but they they never like to sort of want to, they never want to come into technology. Why is that? You know, we're not important. And I say, oh, we're hugely important. You should hear the way they talk about tech at the boardroom and in the media. You know, we're a tech company. We're you know we're not a bank. We're a tech company that that happens to do financial services. And people say, well, why why do they never show up? And I say, because there is nothing to see. <laughs> because you literally walk into a building and you just see lots of people sat at desks staring at screens. And, you know, we've used analogies like going to a factory. I mean, I always challenge most people, if you've had the opportunity to go into a a production line, it's fascinating because normally within 20 minutes, you can see where the bottlenecks are. You can turn to the factory and go, that's your oldest piece of equipment. And if I gave you, you know, some money, this would be the thing you'd invest in. Um, And this is definitely where you've got a problem today. You walk into technology and you just see a lot of people sat at desks. How do you see the flow of work? How do you understand what is going on? And even if you do look at the screens, half the time, you know, it's filled with a language you don't understand, lots of curly braces and semicolons, right? It's really it's really tough to, to kind of understand what, what, what people are doing. And so, you know, the benefit of, of flow metrics is really to bring that to life, to provide that visibility, to provide the transparency of flow so you can see how work is moving through your system. And that is absolutely critical because if you don't understand how work is flowing, then how do you help people manage it? When your team gets stuck behind a bottleneck, how can you help and assist and help, um, you know, help um, subjugate the constraint and learn to deal with it? And so, you know, having having a tool, you know, like Viz from Tasktop um, is is just is just I think almost a necessity to be uh, to be honest with you, Mick, um, because you know it, it it enables us to do it. And and one final comment I'd make is, you know, what Agile gave us was was a lot of Post-it notes on 
whiteboards, right? I mean, that's to some degree how you started visualizing your flow. And I look at, you know, um, um, tools from Tasktop, and we're now moving into the next generation, the digital view, the equivalent of all your, you know, of all your post-it notes on a whiteboard, right? And 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 it just gives you so much more. So uh, so that's really, uh, yeah, my view. Yeah, and BM, I just want to get back to that because BMK made this great point uh, in that presentation as around, you know, us moving from value stream mapping and these static maps, which, you know, maybe those work for Hollywood blockbusters, right? All the, you know, I've seen them, right? You, the post-its and the storylines and the storyboards and so on. But fundamentally, I think what, what we're doing in technology is actually, you know, could be quite a bit more complex than pulling off a Hollywood blockbuster. As you were saying that, Paul, is imagine actually that, that strong AI will probably start writing Hollywood blockbusters before it starts running digital transformations because <laughs> the, the, you know, the latter are, uh, have many more moving parts and, and much more complexity. So, I'd, but before we go there, it was you, know, you made this really interesting point in, in your DevOps Enterprise Summit presentation that without actually that kind of visibility, you know, the visibility of, of the dynamics of building software, that creative work, what, what all those people sat at all those desks at home or in the office are, are doing, you're blind. And, and I really found it fascinating how you related that to actually one of the reasons where technology turns into being order takers. Right. If if none of this is visible, it's like going back to the to the production line analogy. It's like the business is now dumping all these requests for cars to be produced without realizing that the capacity for producing cars is a tenth of what's being dumped. And the capacity for improving those, you know, that 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 old machine that's slowing everything down and removing it and stopping production for a moment as, while you do that, so you can actually double the flow of production. Is never prioritized, and of course, then the points you made about balancing things like technical data and the like. So, just if you'd relate us, relate to us your experience about that, about how you know that how flow has helped move away from this order taker mentality, and really what, how organizations end up there, because I think that's that's one of the challenges. Is technology teams, IT teams, a lot of them are are exactly in this mode today. And what you've done with Beyond Z is actually move the organization ahead of that. Yeah, I mean, the key issue that we have is the business quite often looks at our delivery pipelines and sees very little coming out of the end, right? And the analogy I use is, is, is like a freeway that has no traffic on it. And everyone's saying, oh, great, you know, the road's pretty empty. So let's just keep sticking some more things on because, you know, there's, there's obviously not a lot going on. Uh, and what they're missing is that several miles um, down the freeway, there's a huge traffic jam, right? And it's all blocked. Um, and so, you know, very often, you know, business people um, tend to see the, the end of the motorway or freeway, sorry, the end of the freeway. And, um, and, and, and yeah, there's no traffic flowing. And so they go, great, we can, we can just keep adding more and more work. And, of course, you know, we're trying to deal with the traffic jam, you know, a few miles down. They're effectively just putting more traffic on, more cars, more trucks, et cetera, and just loading us up and loading us up. And so, you know, the challenge is how do you visualise that? Um, and how do you, you know, how do you provide that view to your to your colleagues? Um, and really, that's you know, for me, the benefit of you know, flow metrics. I mean, BMK, do you want to do you want to add a few words around that theme? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> thanks, Paul. I, I think um, most of the time, the business uh, the technology appears to be like a black box. Big, uh, that's the fact. Mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, uh, because if it is a single product company, like a technology company, your your business and IT is together, right? Like, you know, it's a single stream and single unit. They work together towards, towards a single product or something like that. Example, like, you know, you take Spotify or you know, Netflix kind of a company. 
where technology and business is a single unit. Whereas like, you know, traditional enterprises like banks and uh, government organizations, we always struggle. We use technology to serve our customers and internal customers and external customers. So technology is always actually uh, is an afterthought when it comes to business, you know, uh, 10, 20 years before. But now every company is a technology company, but the struggle for the business is to, they don't understand what exactly happens in technology. And most of the problems, what Paul is talking about, about the adding more and more work, because we had what, uh, when you have all the traditional project managers, and they always think about the best way of resource utilization. <laughs> but what it means that they keep the, your technology busy with delivering features, and they keep taking orders, they keep doing a project plans, they keep um, you know, planning how to, you know, the delivery dates, milestones, and rollouts, and et cetera. But what happens is actually they, nobody from technology ever made an effort to tell the business what else the technology needs to do in the space, right? And I think the flow metrics for us is actually, it's a, it's a great way to showcase that to our business. And one is actually, you know, the, the efforts what Paul is um, doing in the organization at the moment is actually make the work visible. That's the first thing. And number two is actually show them what else is actually technology is doing. Example, like, you know, how do you make the tech visible? How do you make that the risk that we are addressing from technology front is uh, you know, important? How uh, unplanned works like incidents are taking our time and what we need to do to address them? You know, for example, I might restore an incident. But I need to spend maybe another couple of hours to update my support documentation, upload my other controls and things. So by the way, next time when this happens, you know, our team know, they, they, they know what to do next, right? So these are some of the things like, you know, which business never um, got an opportunity to see. I think the I think the flow metrics is a great way to portray that, you know, and show that, okay, this is the amount of risk we are doing. This is the amount of features that we are doing. So, I mean, I strongly believe that it's a great tool for product managers and product owners to have a conversation conversation with their counterparts in business and saying that, hey, you know, I can go faster if I address this technical bit. I, I take an analogy of restaurant always. If you want to serve a delicious food to your customer, you need to be having a dishwasher in, dishwasher in a working condition in a best way. So it means if it's broken and ultimate goal will be impacted. And that's that's my way of looking at it. So it means your broken dishwasher is like a dead debt, and then serving your delicious food is like a feature delivery for your customers. So you need to balance uh, both things. That's that's my take. Okay, excellent. And I think the really interesting thing is that a lot of a lot of listeners, of course, you know, understand that, right? They 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 have an appreciation for the fact that we need to make work visible, measure flow, and actually focus on bottlenecks and apply the theory of constraints and all these. In the end, right? Look at look at end-to-end value streams, uh, understand the portfolio, understand the dependencies, understand where where the waste is, right? So now I think so many organizations are struggling with actually how to scale this, how to apply it. And I think you've, you've been through some of those initial phases and some of what you've reflected in our conversations and your presentations is really meaningful. Because one of, I, I'll tell you the thing that I'm seeing across organizations applying, deploying the flow framework, uh, this, this ways of measuring flow, giving, giving the business a perspective on flow distribution, as you've been doing, where, where things tend to go, I think, stall out and sideways, is that the organization is actually not set up with capacity to do anything about that. So all of a sudden, you've got these very visible bottlenecks. right? All of a sudden, you see that you, know, you have to go cut down uh, 10 trees and, and you, you simply don't have the right, the right saw or the right axe to do this. And there's no capacity for actually going to, 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 to sharpen that axe or buy a chainsaw or whatever. This, this metaphor is going to go a little too far now. But uh, 
How have you approached that? And Paul, I, I heard you say, as we were just you know, chatting right before this podcast, I think one of the more profound things I've heard, and I really want to explore this further, is given that you know, you've already had the insights from bottlenecks within your organization and seeing parts of your portfolio, how do we actually get organizations to prioritize improvement? Because what we see from great organizations is that they're, they're continually improving. They're prioritizing the improvement of daily work as much as they are prioritizing, prioritizing daily work because they see the payoff, right? They see that if they improve flow, all of a sudden, some of the business metrics everyone's after are improving, right? In the end, we want these flow metrics to be leading indicators for business outcomes and for our business counterparts to see them. I think, Paul, you, you've got a very unique perspective being on the executive team right now uh, in terms of having made that case and made it clear. But in the end, the entire organization has to start prioritizing that. And, it's, and oftentimes, what I've experienced is it's, it's something that hasn't been done before because we've had this cost center and order taking mentality for so long. So I want to like you both to kind of build out the statement, but starting Paul with what, what I've heard you say, which again is, I think is just so profound is thinking about how we reward for improvement, just not, re- not only reward for output where we've structured our companies for so long for rewarding for output. Yeah, it's a really, really good point, um, Mick. And uh, look, it, it is a challenge. Uh, when I normally talk about my my my, my esteemed business colleagues, it, they normally fall a, form an orderly queue with a sign that says, "Where are my features?" Right? Because you know they're very clear. That's what we're paid for. That is what makes the company profitable. That's what provides you know great service to our customers. You know, great great tools and experiences for our colleagues, you know, to, to serve our customers as well, you know, and and there are there are these assumptions around technology, things that are just given. The fact we will be secure, the fact that we will be scalable, the fact that we will be high performant, et cetera. You know, so rarely do I talk with colleagues, they're very clear about their feature state. And then you say, and how much would you like to invest? Uh, you know, we, we, how much would should we invest in making this secure? You know what? Because security is an investment, scalability is an investment, robustness. You know, disaster recovery (BCP) is an investment. How, how much would you like us to, to to invest in those? And uh, yeah, they they kind of look blankly and just kind of go, well, I, I thought you were looking after that. And and isn't that just sort of built into the cost because we're kind of assuming it's free of charge? We just we're just paying for features. And I think the next big challenge, because I think we've 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 been aware of this for a while, but the next big challenge is then to say, and how much would you like us to invest in continuous improvement? You know, how much would you like us to invest in flow? How much would you like us to invest in in getting better so that when we have this conversation next year? We're effectively twenty percent cheaper and fifty percent faster. You know, and that's that's a that's a great conversation. And uh, I still think that is so rarely had in most companies. Um, and um, yeah, and effectively, you know, a real a real challenge, because you know one of the insights we've had recently is that you know looking at flow most people who study it just get it and understand it um i mean the 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 way i found out about it was a good friend of mine handed me your book basically and i read it um over the vacation and i just came back to to the office and went finally 
here we go, you know, the digital version of what I've been looking for. You know, it, it's it's exactly what we need. Let, let's get on with it. And of course, you know, the first thing I got met with was confusion, not not resistance, but people saying, well, we're pretty busy. You know, this is great. What sort of what's your latest random thing that you've you've kind of you know, how, do, how do we just push the boss into a kind of container and, and, and not let him do too much damage while we just get on with the real work that, uh, you know, that we've been trying to do all, all, all year? Yeah, I mean, eventually you, you, you share the idea, you get a coalition of the willing you know people just just generally understand and then we go out and we go let's do this let's do this thing and the first thing you find is that you know people are incented you know to deliver not to improve and you know it is a it is definitely a challenge in 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 the organization because you know you you then sort of say well all right how how do we do both things because you know it, we we cannot we cannot just down tools. We're, we're not, you know, we're not in a position to to say, hey, look, we, we'll do this continuous improvement to the exclusion of everything else. And one of the big challenges always is is how do you do multiple things in parallel? Because we know serialization is much easier. Um, it's much easier just to do one thing at a time, one after the other. But uh, you you lose you lose out in terms of speed. We need parallelism. We need to be able to do multiple things. But um, just like my friendly network engineers will tell me, the minute you do things in parallel uh, in the uh, in the network world, you get synchronization issues, you get crosstalk, you get all those standard things just in terms of moving bits on a wire, right? And we get the same thing with people. Yeah, we, we, we have synchronization problems. We have crosstalk problems. We have those issues, right? We have coordination that we have to manage. And so, you know, the teams are then saying, well, how do we... How do we deal with this challenge, um, you know, between you know these particular things? And really, at the end of the day, what we have to do is we have to start saying to people, we will reward you for improvement, because historically we've been rewarding for output and delivery, which is you know still a great metric. And I'm not on a, you know, on a podcast going to suggest to people that they don't reward for output, um, because you know I'm always very clear with the team that you know this is what pays our bills this is what justifies our existence right at the end of the day we have to deliver um effective technology for the benefit of our customers that's that's our role in life that's what drives us forwards but we must find a way to be more effective and efficient as we do that and 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 to continuously uh, continuously improve and so um yeah we're uh, we're now going to be leaning in um much more into teams and saying look how do we reward you for this improvement not just for you know de- delivering delivering outputs and there's a great quote i i think it might be a misquote i'm not sure to abraham lincoln which which basically said you know if i had 6 hours to chop down a tree i i'd spend 4 hours sharpening the axe and it's a really easy quote to make yeah i think uh you know works very well in the head you can get a good mental model and sometimes I feel I go down and, and watch all the teams sat in front of their PCs and I, I feel I've just got teams of people out in the forest with blunt axes just whacking away at trees and you know quite often not making a lot of progress, right? And 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 how do we call them in and and, and at least give them some time to sharpen the axe? We can't we can't, you know, just bring everybody in, close the doors and 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 say, Hey, we're 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 now focusing on on, on axe sharpening for the next month and you'll see no productivity because we can't serialize in that way. But uh, yeah, we do need to uh, we do need to set aside time for it. Yeah, and in terms of what I've seen in in, in successful uh, deployments of the flow framework, but more importantly, acceleration of 
business outcomes, of time to market, of just technology excellence, is is this? It's this component, uh, and I think just basically operationalizing time for teams to to improve, to run those experiments, and and to increase flow, and then of course to be disciplined about it, because like you said, Paul, we can't go down tools, right? The, the, the things need to be delivered, but the amazing thing is that the amount of capacity that's freed up quickly and the sort of fast feedback cycle, fluid feedback that you, that you can get from actually going after those bottlenecks is just, it's invigorating for teams as well. But there's this chicken and egg where if it's not systematized somehow, and I think your point on rewarding for improvement is one of those powerful things I've seen work out there because it really just changes the structure and the nature of incentives for teams and, and changes how they think. And I, I think if we just leave it to teams, again, who feel like they're constantly behind and are being told they're constantly behind, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't unwind itself. These behaviors don't unwind themselves. And I think your approach, I want to dig into one thing here with B and, and BMK would be great to hear uh, your reflections on this because one thing that you have done, I think clearly and differently, and this is sort of back to the you know, the, this notion of, of ownership, right? The, Paul, you've taken personal ownership of this because you realize how much value it stands to deliver to, to your bank, to your, to your partners, to your customers. And you've assigned ownership to it internally. I think that, you know, the things we've learned from Amazon is if you don't have kind of some level of single-threaded ownership, someone who's looking at that, let's say, just one point, the, the architecture, it's, again, it just, it, it, it falls by the wayside as, as priorities change, as urgencies come up. So how did you get, and then let's, let's it'd be great to hear BMK's perspective on this, how did, what made you, you create the role of value stream architecture? Actually, which, which of you created it, by the way? Where did, who, who convinced whom here? <laughs> So Paul, uh, I think, so uh, when Paul came in, actually, you know, me and Paul, uh, we had a constant chat about, I don't know if he thinks what's happening, actually, you know, uh, I mean, for me, it's about being, looking at what's happening around me and then in, in a technology, uh, in terms of architecture, in terms of uh, our practices, technical practices, agile practices, and uh, site-reliable engineering, DevOps, et cetera, various topics that we often connect and talk about it. And one of the things that uh, Paul asked me last year was actually, okay, you know, BMK, if you're doing a role, to what uh, you're doing, you know, what is that? And I was, uh, I mean, I went back and thought about it. Then I wrote a few points, and I went back to um, Paul and said, "Paul, this is what I think is actually a, it's, it's a good idea that I would like to do." And then Paul looked at it and it said, that like, you know, so what if if, if I introduce uh, you know, this role as actually a value stream architect? Will you be interested? And as soon as I heard the term, actually, because I read about your blog post and I read about, read about Dominica's and uh, um, uh, about the value stream architecture and also the IT revolution paper on your book, and then it sounds wow, no. That is something like, you know, I have a leader who is now talking about holistic view of end to end, you know, the value stream thing. And somebody who has realized the importance of having an, a role like a value stream architect, you know, who can look at, help the organization in terms of optimizing the, the flow. Because I mean, I, I stole straight away, actually, the, the, the role title, it came from Paul. And uh, I mean, as soon as he made that, like, you know, I never had a second thought on that. You know, I'm, I'm me being a technical developer and what it, it told me, uh, you know, the Paul stance on that is actually, okay, now you have a leader as an, uh, in the, for the technology in an organization who is now thinking about developer experience, developer productivity, and then their, their growth and uh, those, what Sally was talking about in your last podcast, like, in you know, growth items, right? And giving the developers, the engineers in your organization, the headspace for doing, improving their way, how they are doing their daily work. I think it's very, very important. I know that the Paul's analogy about the, the blunt tax and uh, things, you know, which, which, I mean, I feel a lot of technology, in, in a lot of engineers and technology, they, they don't really get 
uh, understand that and how many people in your organization they come up and tell you that hey mick i found the easiest way of doing these things would you want me to try this and can i can i do an experiment can i do uh, show you that how we can effectively we can do that like you know you need to have a right level of leadership support uh, supporting an organization to do a few things so i think uh, uh, the paul i mean i give i will give the credit to, i mean uh, i've given the credit to paul so it's paul's idea about values to market tech and i think uh, uh, what i'm seeing is actually now more and more we need to start aligning in this space and that's more important for us and the primary focus is being helping the developers experience and helping the developer productivity is uh, it's it's a critical thing for non technology organizations like us i mean of course we are a tech company you know in terms of banking and uh, things but what i mean by that is actually though you're a financial institution but uh, yeah ceo of your organization or you know chief uh, cx of your organization cannot take developer experience very lightly now they have to put primary you know um, they need to have that actually the staff well being staff de- productivity i mean in terms of developer experience and productivity is actually one of the primary thing in their board level report actually in let's dig into that because i think one of the the transformational aspects to how you're doing transformation so <laughs> one of the non standard things i think unique things that i've seen actually done elsewhere now as well but i think i i saw you doing it much earlier is is treating this at that level right treating developer experience at the board level and actually using because i think we have a limited set of tools as as leaders we want to do well by our developers well by our what we deliver to the business but but in the end we can really you know adapt the, the structure and the dynamics of the organization to to enable flow uh, to have the right signal surface to have bottleneck surface and the like and i think what you've prioritized i think is very powerful right the fact that you put developer experience onto board reporting that you actually put flow and flow metrics onto your board report. So what the power that has and of course it's it's not an overnight journey when you do this, right? It's not like everything changes overnight, but at least it leaves the organizational space to again to make some of those dynamics of surfacing tech that visible for more than uh, just regulatory purposes. Paul, I, I first learned from you that uh, that you actually have regulatory needs to report on tech that, which is another fascinating thing I'd, I'd like to touch on. But how did you how did you end up there what made you realize and what effect has it had the journey of doing that right of actually making it this a first class part and it's it's easier said you know we've got a lot of organizations out there who basically say we're now a technology company who was this but we're now a technology company but nothing has changed on the board reports so how are you a technology company if you're not you don't have first class engineering development and flow metrics yeah it's i mean it's a great point make it's so easy to say things and you know doing them and providing the evidence is uh, is different so 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 bank of new zealand is is part of the national australia bank group and um our executive uh, of technology um over in australia a, a gentleman patrick wright and i have to give him credit for this um but uh, he's he's taught me something uh, that i use a lot which is you know people keep coming up and saying oh this is a problem that's a problem you know how how do we get the board to understand how do we do this uh, and he just says imagine if we ran technology imagine if we ran technology imagine what we could do and so often and i mean it's very easy to say but so often it's an aha moment right and so just going back to the conversation about value stream architects you know it's very important for for any tech leaders who are on the call it is so important for you to go and talk to your teams it is so important for you to make time with people at the coal face because they will tell you what the experience of working in your company is like they will tell you what's going on why why we're not productive the the bureaucracy and and things 
And then so often you go back and go, oh, that's a problem. You know, it's been a problem for a long time. I, I wonder how we can do that. And I'll challenge everyone listening. Just imagine if you ran technology. Just imagine what you could do. You could do things like say, hey, we're going to put flow metrics on our board reporting. And yes, you'll have to convince people and you'll have to educate people and you'll have to find people to help you do that. But I think so often we get stuck in, you know, traditional frameworks of, you know, well, developers do this, testers do this, QA people do this, security people do this. We have this type of architecture. We have this type of, you know, whatever, you know, and uh, and and so often I'm 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 challenged because even when we make technology changes in 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 tech around the way we do things, so rarely do we take that out wider i mean when when agile first surfaced you know how are we persuading our finance teams how agile work how about our risk team and our auditors you know i came across this when when you know we first adopted agile methodologies and then we had auditors who turned up who've been trained in waterfall processes for the last 20 years because that's the way technology always did things and so guess what they ordered us against their waterfall processes that they knew and we're so shocked when technology was suddenly saying, well, that's not the way we do things around here anymore. And, um, yeah, I, I have to say my first audit, I got a, a, a sea of red and, you know, uh, escalations the board, please explain, because you don't seem to be behaving the way we expect. You know, you've spent 20 years training us that this is what good looks like in technology. And, 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 now, and, now, and now you're changing things. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that, those two points, right? Imagine if you ran tech. But when you do then say, great, we're going to look at, you know, effectively driving this this change, how, how do you educate those around you? How do you demonstrate the value of that change? And I think so often this is where organisations run into trouble is that, you know, changes can get made. And because, you know, people don't understand, etc., it's kind of like a rubber band. You know, you stretch the band. And it takes a, a lot of strength to hold that tension, right? Because so easily, the minute you stop focus, and we're all pretty busy, it's, you know, modern life is pretty stressful. There's a lot of things going on. All the unplanned work that keeps turning up and demanding your attention, you know, that rubber band just so quickly snaps back. Um, and everybody just goes, oh, well, that was an interesting experiment, but let's just go back to this this way. And, you know, your team's Teams get frustrated, and then you get self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Where people go, "Ah, oh, well, I knew this never—I knew this was never going to work." You know, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm now back to the, you know, to the experience I had before, which I don't like, but at least it's familiar, you know. And uh, you know, we'll we'll just keep you know pressing on as best we can. So, you know, it 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 really is um, it really is about you know taking that step forwards. Mm keeping the focus and the execution and then when you have challenges you know to pivot um and um you mentioned earlier that uh you know i i'm, I'm a big believer in tenacity uh, something that i talk to people a lot about when they they say to me you know how, how how are you successful and how do you you know have a successful it career uh, and move forwards so i say well you've, you've got to have good good skills and, and, you know, and, and great behaviours as well. But I think that you need to have tenacity because I think life is tough and you have to have tenacity and you have to be able to be prepared to, to accept your failures, learn and move on and just keep 
pushing through and learning, you know, and, and, and educating people around tenacity is really tough. And then coupled with the uh, tenacity, though, um, is the uh, is is the ability to pivot. And I think, you know, this is probably very similar to, you know, what you tell startup companies as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, you know, the definition of insanity is, is to keep doing the same thing um, and expect different results. And so while I'm a big believer in tenacity, you know, you have to then, you know, learn, um, inspect and adapt. So what happened? What do we need to change? How do we effectively move forwards? Yeah, it's, Paul, I think this, this snapping back, I, I think it's, it's just so frequent, I think. And it's, it's so difficult for people in, in, in your roles, I know, across other organizations in terms of, you know, getting things pointed in the, the right direction, but then things snapping back into order taking. And the, the, this amazing thing I find happens when the teams start experiencing you know, faster flow and that kind of engagement. But it does, you know, there's a fair amount of unlearning to do because the, the systems have been structured this way. So the, I, think that it, I think that's a great way to put it, right? It, it requires tenacity. And then, that, that I, then that I want to dig into this because you've done more, you've, you've had the tenacity, but you've also taken uh, the education and learning aspect of this, right? In the end, you know, the teams that have to start learning how to pivot, right? They have to start taking ownership and accountability of their flow. And once they do, things change. But if they're snapping back because they're too busy, they've been too overloaded, there's no time to cha- for change because they're too behind, uh, too many. And frankly, there's a lot changing out from underneath these teams, right? You're, you're, you're moving to cloud, you're deploying microservices, you're leveraging new technology stacks. So there's so much change already that I think, again, it, it goes back to if, if we've systematized learning and improvement, you were on the right path. And so I, I want to dig in. So we, you've talked already about the sort of the, the re- rewarding for improvement, which, by the way, I know I'll quickly relate this. I know one organization, uh, thousands of developers, where they actually incentivized the learning to see, just the title of Dominica's book, but actually making work visible and, and, and showing flow distribution. They, they put that into the bonus structure of technology leaders and product owners just because. Again, just just to f- avoid that snapping back, and then after that, they actually pr- they put into. And I'm not saying that the bonus structure is the, the best tool to do it. It was just interesting to watch how they did this, actually improving flow. Because of course, when you start improving flow, you've got they they know they already knew this from experiments that run. You've got happier developers and technology staff because work just got easier. So your engagement scores improve, and then you you start creating this virtuous cycle. But to do that, I think what we're seeing is you have to you have to get people on board. You have to have them understand, and the understanding has to go beyond you know beyond the, the two of you, obviously. And the way that uh, you have structured and BMK, maybe you can speak to this because I know you've you've shown me some of these materials. The kind of the learning, the portal, the education, bringing in not just agile experts, but experts in organizational design, experts in DevOps, all of this, and again looking at teaching the organization around about these value streams and about flow, and creating a, a set of resources. In the internal uh, learning systems that you've got and the portals, can you can you speak a bit bit to that? Because again, I think what you've done is 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 what everyone other should be doing, and it's just it's so rare to see it. I think uh, education is uh, is one of the important aspect of uh, transformation uh, making, in my view, uh, which Paul agrees as well. Like the way that you can transform the organization is like the way that you, you know you transform the people. The way to transform the people is actually by training and giving, empowering, and enabling them to do the right thing for your organization. Right. So when we started this journey 
of Flow and Flow Framework. And actually, I mean, I started back in 2014 uh, thinking about it, like how do we bring the sharing across the organization as actually a thing? Because, I mean, I always tell a story, you know, how I got into DevOps as a, as a story is that uh, I was a lead architect for one of the lending program. And I mean, we were working out actually what is the plan for doing the Prussian deployment BMK. Then we thought, okay, hey, I'm an experienced developer. I have done the system design. So it was going to take like two and a half hours on Friday evening because Friday evening is what you do the production deployment. After us, you know, you don't want to have an impact on your customer and business. So it was back in uh, 2014. And then what happened was actually that actual production deployment took two and a half days. And we went on until Monday morning, three o'clock to get anything and everything up and running. And eight o'clock, you know, we made the system go live. But what happened was actually that was an, uh, uh, an eye opener for me. And I came back the next day morning and then I started documenting all this actually, you know, what did we re- really do wrong here? Why it took two and a half days where we and uh, where we were anticipating it will, it can be done in two and, two and a half um, in hours. So then I understood that, okay, there are a lot of things that we keep doing in the old way of doing. And we, we, we know only, okay, that's the way how we are done for the last 10 years. And there is no other way that you can think about it. And that was the biggest change. Like, a tra- I mean, converting your Word documents into an automated deployment scripts, actually a big step change for us in, in those days. And the same thing that we did back in uh, 2018 with the database deployments as well, we changed that. The one thing from 2014 I constantly started doing in the organization, you know, uh, which is not part of my role, but I was really passionate about it, was bringing some of the industry experts into organization and sharing their experience outside of what's happening, right? Because sometimes that's actually when you're really busy doing your day-to-day job, you don't have enough time to lift your head up and look at what's happening around you and what, what you can learn from other organizations or from people, et cetera, right? So then I started connecting more to the community, you know, what other people are doing, what other organizations are doing, and I started inviting them inviting them to the BNZ, actually. So we call them as actually continuous learning series in the organization, where we invite some of the industry experts, which you were part of and Nicole part of and uh, a few other people part of in the, in the past. We continue to run the education session. So that's number one. Number two, uh, people learn from a different, uh, you know, they have a, a different, what you call style of learning. You know, some people, they're very interested in learning in a connected mode, like, you know, in an in-person training program. The others are very happy to go back and watch videos or learn from a textbook or learn from their materials. So we stood up something called Flow Hub. Flow Hub is actually a centralized repository for all the materials that we want to talk about, value stream, flow metrics, flow framework, and uh, the other improvements and all the training programs that we offer around that, including Flow Academy, the Tostop Academy, you know, uh, the training program. So we centralized that in a single place and we made it with a short URL and said anybody who would like to know about value stream or flow and flow framework in the organization, simply go and this is a very short URL for you. Just click on that and you can land on that. So I think that become we, we received a very good f- feedback you know, because we have done in the past with other systems as well. So that is number two. So we made an offline content available for people who can interact. And the third thing that we have done is actually what we constantly started running drop-in sessions with the help of people like you know, Carmen and Dominica, you know, and Tom and Mara from uh, Tostop as well. And not only that, and also we bought people from within the organization who can talk about flow and who can talk about you know flow framework. Some of the pilot teams they were sharing their experience as well. So the important aspect is that you know when people share their experience, what has changed, how it has changed uh, in their day-to-day life. As they talk about flow, I mean, I, I remember in one of the earlier discovery sessions, uh, we were asking and the developers say that my job is done when I commit my code, you know, but we want to change that aspect. No, your job doesn't complete 
you know when you come i mean when you say oh, commit my code you need to learn from the feedback from what customer is doing you need to learn from the production systems you need to learn from how you can bring those feedback into your organization right so this is the important aspect of uh, the learning so what we have done is actually enable the people get the right information learn from experts within the organization but at the same time bring some of the industry experts into the organization so by the way we can establish a continuous learning and this is what we call uh, what uh, uh, hendrik uh, nebeck calls us actually self improving right like self improving organization so it's not that you're you're waiting for a moment to happen to improve oh and all of a sudden like for example log for j <laughs> example like you know, oh now we need to do something about it no you constantly upskill and constantly uh, transform yourself as an individual and by the way then you can be at the best version every day at work so by the way you can contribute to a greater outcome of the organization what it is so that i think that is the important aspect of the flow hub and uh, and what we have done in terms of education Yeah and I think again everything I've seen around that flow hub I think these things are powerful of course some of these things take time to emanate across the organization and people to learn but but if there's that that you know establishing driving that culture of learning and not just telling people they need a culture of learning but but giving them a short URL as you said it's so key and then there's one more thing that I've noticed uh in your approach which you know may not be novel to you but I think is is sadly too novel in terms of my experiences in in large enterprise organizations is the way that you you know you base as as you said it you aim high but you just get started right just just get things deployed start measuring start that flow feedback continual learning loop going tell me about how what your experience there has been right because i know you've you know for example the one one of the stories that you shared is you saw a team who was reporting their flow efficiency as 80% but rather than stressing that's well that can't be right it's like well no now that's celebrating the fact that okay we we were missing some step of the process of course we can't be at 80% yet uh for calling done uh before value's actually been delivered so just share a bit about that maybe paul you could start on just the importance of not waiting for things to get right not waiting till the you know the the next part of the transformation's done or the next micro you know the next microservice architecture is deployed and so on but this in the end it's that tenacity that pivoting and that starting today that i think is has got you uh and begins on on such a better trajectory than so many of the of the transformations out there Yeah it's a, it's a really good point. When I started my agile journey, um one of the phrases that really resonated with me was uh was unlock the intrinsic motivation of your knowledge workers and it, you know it really spoke to me. I mean I'm being fortunate I came through as a software developer um and an architect and you know I I believe that the best way for companies to succeed is to unleash the power of the teams that we have um as a leader uh you know it's important that 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 I have a clear vision and you know know where we're trying to head to the company but you know my job is is really to remove roadblocks and and allow people to be as BMK said the best versions of themselves to turn up to to work every day and and to love what they're doing um and I think we all deserve that right um I think uh, you know I think it's it, it it's hard I think especially large corporates you know we tend to have a lot of rules and bureaucracy and challenges and um I always say as well you know when you when you ask uh, when you ask a thousand people what they think you get a thousand different opinions right and so that's always you know that's always pretty tough to uh, to deal with but uh, you know why do we need to get started straight away and the reason is that you know I can start trying to you know get everything perfect before we start but there's only one of me 
you know there's a there's a lot of other people and and so you know that's really not going to scale and not be particularly productive and one of the benefits that we saw with starting earlier as you've mentioned is that um you know one of the challenges of course is the quality of data we've um we've uh, we've put uh flow metrics across uh, across jira um and as ever you know our, our jira data is not as consistent as we would like it's really not uh, at the level that we would want and so putting it in and starting what ended up happening was we we had teams that then when they looked through their first iterations they they went wow we're like you know 80 and 90% flow efficient because that's what the data says and um what was great was that without any intervention required they all kind of looked at each other and went that's not right that's not right there's no way without flow efficient there must be a problem here there's probably a problem in our data i think we should fix it and so suddenly you've got a team that's intrinsically motivated to go and resolve the issues in data as opposed to a management team turning up saying we've looked at your data team it's not as good as we want it to be you need to fix that oh and by the way you still also have to deliver all these other features you have to deal with your tech debt you got to build these business features you've you know you've you've got to put these risk things in you got to worry about security and all the other stuff and um yeah the chances of getting that data as a high priority getting getting that data resolved as a high priority um you know is pretty difficult and so yeah my advice is that um it is important to get started because you will find that things are not perfect they never are and if you want things to improve it is important that people then get to see that we go back to visibility and ownership um and people are you know we're, we're giving people the opportunity to be masters of their own destiny here um, as opposed to some senior management team sort of strolling around saying right you do this you do that um you do the other don't get me wrong i'm 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 a big believer in focus and discipline but you know i also say to people that you know this 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 isn't the military and if you want to treat knowledge workers you know in in that way then you better start running two years of boot camp to kind of you know uh, <laughs> train them up to uh, you know to be a much more kind of command and control environment um and um you know i'm not wanting to make commentary um, on on our armed forces that you know fantastic people that work for them but in in knowledge management i'm not sure it's the most effective way you know to to get that innovation especially you know when things are so you know fast changing etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah i think it's really important that, that you get started so that that you get the teams the ability to take ownership of their own destiny and how they're going to drive things forward yeah i'll add to that point actually so i think the the one of the thing that I mean, i've i've found out is actually the data is scary right the data is scary in any form like for example if you're uh, if you're borrowing a loan for a mortgage from a bank and then when you look at how much you're borrowing that's that's scary like the interest rate that you pay is a scary then how much of uh, issues that you have in the organization from technology perspective it's a scary so the numbers are really scary and uh, but the thing is that when you see i mean the, the what happened with flow metrics for us is actually when the, the team never seen anything like that about about their about their flow and about their uh, you know efficiency how many items they're completing like that you know i mean of course you have all other metrics like your velocity burn down cumulative flow diagrams and all other metrics that you have but what flow metrics has done for us is actually showing that 
to to the their own team members and this is what our flow efficiency is as as paul said like you know that number 80 80% or 86% which is not right but if you are going to wait to clean up anything and everything and then start fresh and uh, you know uh, make it perfectly you know what uh, paul calls us actually waiting for the stars aligned kind of a thing you will never get started you know because you keep going back in the discussions you know uh, discussing uh, after discussion about discussion right like you know you don't want to get there what you want to do is actually okay agree on something what is the minimum that you need to start off and start there i mean when you look at the very first iteration of your data that data might not be right which is perfectly fine but when you start seeing the data then you start understanding that okay might might be my jira is not right maybe the way how our team is updating is not right maybe the work categorization is not right like you know for example when we started with flow metrics when we did the very first time we told all the teams because we don't want to scare them telling hey in order to take off with the flow framework and flow metrics you need to do 20 things as soon as if you tell them that will put them off and they said oh we are too busy already and we don't want this do the things what we told them rather is actually hey whatever the state you are we are happy to plug in your data and start ingesting and looking at it and what happened was the very first few iterations of our flow framework and flow distribution is all green all right it's only yeah. feature then yeah. then we then the question we started asking like you know, during our coaching session and modeling session okay so it means you are doing only all features so what about risk oh yeah there are few risk items there oh what about your tech debts oh yes there are some tech debts oh, what is happening with your unplanned incidents and in a production outage systems oh yeah there are few then the team started getting hang of it and saying okay right now i can start categorizing my work so by the way i can have a meaningful conversation uh with uh, with the teams and also the teams turn to have something like a very big bucket of bau activity and what goes inside inside the bau activity nobody knows about it right and they have a regular few things like checking in and cleaning up and writing documentation updating some processes etc but you need to really call out that because when you are having conversation with people like you know leaders in the organization like paul or you know any other gms or your head of tech or maybe your product owners then you can show them the data i mean that, that that's i i believe that actually the flow framework and flow metrics is actually a, a fantastic way to empower the teams to have the right conversation with their business counterparts with the head of tech and with their technology leaders the reason because you are telling them what is the flow efficiency you are telling them what is your flow count and flow i mean uh, in a velocity for your team that is the best way to actually explain them because then you can go and bang on and ask that hey paul we would like to put off two weeks of stop doing a feature because we have quite a bit of techniques that we would like to go and address them right because without the data it's all subjective because as a senior developer i can go and talk to paul saying hey paul i think this is the right thing to do in the organization what do you think maybe paul might agree or might not agree but if i have a data to back that up with conversation i think that is actually a powerful thing for us and flow framework and flow metrics has given an opportunity where a data driven continuous improvement an opportunity and not only that now people started thinking about the value stream they started thinking about all the activities right like making work visible is not about actually all the work that you do what you get from business but also all the work that you do within the team example like you know i'm doing an architecture design i'm doing a solution design paper i'm going to an architecture uh, architecture review board for uh, you know review i'm talking with security people i'm talking with the network team to sec- firewall and security updates etc so when you start visualizing all the different activities that's happening in your value stream and the people the role that they play the information that's flowing in that and then you start to get to see the holistic view of what's happening in your team from start to end 
right? And I think that's really a powerful way uh, for uh, the value stream thinking is really a powerful way for teams to take on now rather than looking from a project and silos to focus like, okay, I do something and then disappear. No, you being a long product development team, long-standing product development team who continue to work on the product value stream, right? That's more important. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I believe that BNZ is in the right uh, right position at the moment. And because it's, it's called out a couple of years before, actually, we need to take on product management practices a bit more seriously. Yeah, BMK, that, I, think, I think that's amazing. I think going back to what you said, Paul, it, it ends up being what you celebrate as well, right? Is if the teams are celebrating faster flow, if, if a team just demonstrated, yes, it took more time to move things onto a microservice that was provided to them, or maybe to build a microservice, but now they're actually able to deliver double the pace. Uh, those things are getting celebrated, and not only being celebrated, there's that time for that improvement, time for that tech debt reduction, time for the, retiring that, that legacy system. So we are, we are at time, but it, thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom. I think again, uh, there's just so much, so much learning that you've done, and you sharing with the, the community. And I know you both appreciate learning from the community, but I think uh, I just wanted to be uh, clear how much so many of us appreciate your learnings and how you've adapted these things uh, to your scale and to these difficult organizational challenges, and just how meaningful the outcomes are for for BNZ and for your customers. So, any last words to wrap it up? Oh, look, Mick, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity, and I think. BMK talked earlier about uh, the technology community. You know, um, I, I mean, I love working in technology. It's such a privilege to be able to do this. But you know, it's also it it, it can be tough. Um, you know, it can be lonely, um, etc. For everybody. Um, and I think as a community, it's so important that we come together, that we uh, we 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 learn off each other, we support each other, we get uh, mutual benefit. And so, you know, I'm hugely privileged to be in the team I'm in um, with Bank of New Zealand. I'm hugely grateful for that opportunity. And um, I would also love the opportunity, you know, to talk to people, um, you know, uh, around around the globe, everyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, please feel free to reach out. And I'd love to hear what other people are doing as well. And, you know, thank you for doing these podcasts, because that's a great opportunity for us to, you know, um, hear from others and, and learn as well. So thank you. Very, very grateful. Hey, uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, Mick, for the opportunity. I think, uh, like as Paul said, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's great to be here in this podcast, sharing some of our experience and learning. And uh, what we have done as part of this, um, the Flow Framework uh, Slack channel uh, that you have, I've already shared some of our BNZ, uh, the infographics that we did for the Learn to See and Learn to Improve, those, those yeah. things and that, that there, so people can uh, take on that. And I would like to owe some of my um, credits to back to DevOps Enterprise Summit, because DevOps Enterprise Summit, where like I met you in person, like, like back in 2018, I got that book and uh, brought back to, I got a free book from you, like a bunch of like 10, 15 copies. Then I came back and gave away in uh, in Auckland in DevOps days uh, back then. So I think, uh, it, it, as Paul said, it's important that we, we learn as, as a community together. You know, we share, we care, and we grow together. Uh, and uh, I mean, it resonates really with me uh, what Gene Kim talks about in his uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit, the banner, right? Like, you know, getting together to go faster. I think probably, I think it, it doesn't um, mean it's just only within the technology, within the organization, but it's also actually applicable for the wider community as well. I think that's more important for us. And I think we are grateful to be in the space where we have people like you and people like Gene and people like John Willis and you know, other great thought, I mean, thought leaders in the space who are sharing with us and also giving us opportunity, like, you know, like uh, this podcast and other DevOps Enterprise Summit and other forums where we can share our experiences, what is working well, what is not working well. 
you know, what challenges we have and what we need to work on in the future. I think, as Paul said, BNZ is a great place to be. And you know, we have an amazing leader like Paul here, and we have you know, highly talented, uh, motivated people in the organization. I think we will have more stories to share in future with you about Flow and Flow Framework. Yeah, and we will be eagerly awaiting those. Thank you both so much. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for being such a key part of the community. A huge thank you to both Paul and BMK for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me on my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags MythPlusOne or Project to Product. You can reach out to Paul and BMK on LinkedIn. I have a new episode every few weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project to Product to get the book. And remember that all of the proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.